Welcome to the ASCA Viewpoints Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the student conduct profession in higher education. I'm Jill Creighton, your Viewpoints host. Today's episode of the podcast features a multitude of guests, and our guests today are all attendees at the ASCA Annual Conference. And I walked around the conference with the podcast recorder, and I asked our members and our attendees to reflect on the keynote speech, uh, which was given by Tim Wise. And Tim is a well-known author and speaker on issues of privilege and oppression uh, related to all sorts of identities. Um, And we asked Tim Wise to come to the conference to really open up a dialogue for the profession on how our identities and our internalized biases impact our relationships with one another as professionals, but also impact the work that we do as student conduct professionals. Uh, That means on our campuses, with our students, etc. So I was able to speak with about 10 members on their experience uh, with the keynote speech, as well as how that impacted their conference experience, and how that helped them have dialogues with other individuals at the conference, and also hopefully how they'll take that home. So I I hope that you enjoy the next two episodes. Each person I spent, you know, maybe about five to 10 minutes with. So there's a variety of new voices happening on the episodes of the next two weeks. And I'd really be interested to hear your feedback on how this conversation has kept going on your campuses. This is a an issue that we really don't dig into enough in student conduct. We talk about diversity and inclusion a lot in student affairs, but not so much in our focused lens of the profession. And really, we're looking a lot more at areas of cultural humility, uh, meaning how can we look at ourselves and take a very hard look at our internalized biases and how we view the world or how we are moving through the world. Um, So I hope that these next few conversations really give you some food for thought and you can take some of these reflection questions home with you or internalize them wherever you're at right now. If you're in your vehicle or you are in your home or you're in your office, um, just hope that these questions uh, sit with you and give you an opportunity to pause and reflect. And our goal here really is, is that one keynote speech is not enough to impact our professional goals in terms of social justice and cultural inclusion, intentional inclusion, etc. So our goal really is that this is an ongoing conversation throughout the year. So our next several episodes uh, will really feature this as a theme um, so you can continue that conversation. So I know this intro is a little bit more rambly than something that I would usually do, but this is also a conversation that is a journey. Social justice, cultural humility, intentional inclusion, these are not goals. These are all processes and journeys, uh, things that we should be working on every day in our lives as individuals in our and in our profession. So today's guests will be introduced as I speak to them. Um, As you've heard with previous kind of live recorded episodes, uh, the audio quality is not as good as something that you might be used to, but I think that the conversations were really valuable. And I'm really glad we also got to include uh, at least one of our international members. So thank you so much for tuning in. And here we go. Standing here with Erica Gilmore, who is the Assistant Dean of Students for Student Conduct at Tennessee State University. And Erica has some wonderful reflections on our keynote speaker, Tim Wise, to share with uh, all of you, the listeners. Thank you so much. Um, I just left a forum of a thousand people where 90% of the attendees were white. 
There was a white man who was a keynote speaker who reminded me of a white Farrakhan. When he first approached the podium, he cracked jokes about the woman who introduced him saying she was sick. He thanked her for passing the microphone to him while being so sick. He cracked a couple more jokes about 1988 and how old he felt and didn't feel better knowing that there were so many young people in the audience that hadn't been born before that time. After he disarmed everyone, he got down to the business of racism and white privilege. He said white people needed to get over their white privilege and quit playing like there is no racism. He had wonderful statistics, colorful stories, and anecdotes to drive his points home. He was very transparent. After his speech, he took questions to which a Caucasian woman walked from the back of the room down to the microphone and asked, how do we handle the nuances of people that want to celebrate the Old South? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. To which he replied, there are some things that are complicated. He smiled, but it wasn't a smile of normal. It was mixed with, lady, I appreciate what you have asked, but we're not going to play these games. Mm-hmm. He paused and went back on one foot and said, I use the word complicated because I'm not nuanced, as you can tell. He laughed, he straightened the microphone, then he focused intently on the audience and said, but your ignorant ass Uncle Cooter fighting (laughs) for the Confederates ain't one of them. We ain't gonna let this shit, we ain't gonna let him shit us. I was baffled, not by the curse word, but it was the use of the word Uncle Cooter. This white man was really communicating to the audience, we will not drape white supremacy in the glory with the Confederate war. He didn't say your great uncle Robert E. Lee. He said Uncle Cooter, like the Deuce of Hazards, which, by the way, I loved as a kid. Cooter is a name which is unrefined, is backwoods, is ill-informed, misguided, and isolationist. Everyone knows there is no glory in Cooter. Mm-hmm. The name along stripped the glory of many men and women and blacks for many years who had to tolerate in public spaces standing tall, frozen monuments which honored them and honored Confederate pride and old glory to the South. After his response, the audience roared with laughter. Not sure if it was from the use of the name Cooter or the many expletives or his unabashed honesty, but something had everyone laughing. Wise went on to say matter-of-factly, there was nothing heroic about fighting for white supremacy. Mm -hmm. He, Uncle Cooter, was on the wrong side and we can't let him shit us. Prior to this, I had never heard of Tim Wise. I looked him up, and I looked around the, uh, the room, and the majority of the people seemed to laugh comfortably while others uncomfortably. By the end of his speech, he gathered his papers from the podium when rows of people rose like waves to give him a standing ovation until finally the entire room was one tide clapping to something that had moved them from his speech. All I could think is, why hadn't I heard of Tim Wise? Where had he been? I went to my room and I Googled him. I had an Elaine moment from Seinfeld. I dropped my phone and I said, get out. He's from Nashville. (laughs) He's a transplant. He has to be. I read his bio feverishly, overtaken by laughter. Shut the front door. Tim Wise was born and raised in Nashville. Mm -hmm. He graduated from Hillsborough High School. Doesn't get any more Nashville than that. He's spoken in over 50 states plus D.C. and Puerto Rico for the last 23 years about implicit bias, white privilege, and anti-racism. Author of White Like Me. Welp, I'm done. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for sharing that, Erica. That reflection is, I think, really incredible in terms of how we're speaking in the association now about what real intentional inclusion means. So what do you hope that his message will kind of 
do with the membership as we move forward? I think definitely, as, as he said, um, to think about inclusivity, um, to think about privilege. All of us have some point of privilege, and we all operate from that, but we all have to be cognizant of what it is and be very intentional about including others. It doesn't make us bad when we, don't, when we think about it, but we mustn't act on it. We have to act on being inclusive. And when you think about kind of your conference experience based on that keynote, how has that conversation really permeated the rest of the sessions that you've been in? It has been really exciting. It is really like, I feel like it was a, a spiritual moment for me. I, I didn't plan to come, and, and um, but it's been really spiritual in that women have been empowered. Um, I heard women t- uh, speaking earlier at the lunch conference, and the, uh, one of the women that had been a past president talked about her daughters and how it was a different lens that she was seeing through uh, student conduct through versus mm-hmm. when she was younger. Mm-hmm. And then I also heard, um, heard Tamara speak as well and just talked about in the beginning when uh, this association was founded, it wasn't inclusive Mm -hmm. but over the years that has changed and the Mm -hmm. fact that you can see development I mean it's very empowering and I think um, in times that we live in such as now it's very encouraging to see that people are so uh, deliberate amongst all the strife that's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. So um, how have you seen the association evolve in your time with us? Oh my gosh I've just so um, this is my first conference. Oh well welcome we're glad to have you here. (laughs) Thank you thank you I've had a really really good experience and I definitely will think about whether I'm from an HBCU, mm, okay. but so inclus- uh, inclusivity means something a little bit different. So mm-hmm. for us, it means like reaching out to the LBGT community, making sure that they are included, mm-hmm. because that would be kind of like an outlier at our university, but just operating, uh, just making sure that we respect everyone and that inclusion, no matter where um, someone falls on the spectrum of whatever it is. It may be diversity, it may be gender, it may be sexuality, it may be religion, mm-hmm. uh, it may be uh, just uh, it could be anything, um, knowledge, intelligence, but just making sure that we include uh, everyone. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. We really appreciate it. All right. Thank you. I'm here with Susana De La Torre, who is the graduate assistant in the Office of Community Standards and Conflict Resolution at the University of Northern Colorado. And Susana, this is your first conference, yes? Yes, it is. So tell us, in your first professional setting, really, how did you uh, receive the message from Tim Wise and how did you feel impacted by that work? I really appreciated how honest and, and forward the message was. I feel like we didn't play around and I mean in, in some ways like this is what we're going to talk about this is what we need to reflect on and what are the next steps and so I appreciated that in in some ways it wasn't sugar-coated and I really appreciated the the message and, and the speaker. So thinking about the message what are some of those nuggets that stood out to you? Um, just the so the examples that were brought up in terms of connecting to the history so just how um, you Jill the president opened up with okay this is where we have been this is kind of where we started and I feel like the speaker connected to that like it's not just oh this came out of the blue 2018 this is what's happening I appreciated that it was connected to all the other issues that sometimes we don't hear about and people can't connect to this is where we're at because of all these other things. And so I really appreciated that. I really did struggle. You didn't ask me about this part, but I did struggle with how the examples were so black and white. Mm. Too binary. Yes. And so a lot of it was 
literally if we're if we're talking racially it was black and white there wasn't many examples about people who have different identities kind of in the mix or in the grays and and the inner intersectionality wasn't really there for me Mm -hmm. and so that's what I struggled with there was a lot of points that I could resonate and say yes like I appreciate that you're bringing this up because people in in communities that I support have experienced this and I want their stories and their voices to be put out there but there wasn't a lot of examples that I could connect to personally because my identity wasn't really touched on and so as someone who's going into the field I would worry that when I come into conferences, it's going to be black and white. And so where am I? Where do I fit in? And looking for that mentorship and and really getting into the field, like, who do I look to if the speaker is just, you know, on, on polar opposites and there's no kind of in between. And I feel like that's where we're at. We do too much of the black and white and we don't get into the middle. And so that's where we struggle. All right, Susana, so you mentioned that you didn't hear your intersectional identities represented, and I struggle also with some of the issues um, with not necessarily feeling part of the conversation. Uh, I, I know that I've shared that you know I'm the first APEDA person to be elected to the boardroom. We mm-hmm. now have had a second person who identifies as APEDA in the boardroom, but in 2018, that's disappointing. Mm-hmm. Um, as, a, as a kind word, it's disappointing. Yeah. Um, so how do you think that uh, more identities could could find space or how could the association make more space for identities that are not black and white or perhaps not even racially related? I mean, I think one place would be, so there is that option for the Women of Color Summit, right? And so there's that opportunity to bring women of color into that space. And so how do we set that up to be successful for all women of color and not continue the binary? And so there's already a space that we have how do we utilize that? And I just say, well, we have that, like we honor you. Okay, there, there's honor in having a space and having a room and having a time. And how do we be strategic about what is being covered in the sessions, you know? Because there could be more identity, there could be more work where we could dive into not just the, the umbrella and really get into who am I and what am I bringing? What do I need to push forward? What do I need to discontinue and so I don't know that it's necessarily adding on because I think that can be very overwhelming like we can't have thousands of sessions a day and all those things how do we utilize the space that we already have and be really strategic about it Um, there's a lot of talent and I see again going back to the women of color summit there's so much talent there how do we tap into different universities different positions that have been in the mix and maybe you're not in the board but how do you still use the, not use, I don't like that word. How do you collaborate with, with your colleagues and really embrace like, hey, I am who I am. I also hear your struggle. Maybe I don't understand it. Like, tell me more about it. I love this idea of just kind of engaging in more conversation. Um, and I, I hope that we be, were, I hope that we were able to start the mm-hmm. conversation this week. And I know that's definitely, not an endpoint, not a goal, we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, where do you hope this association goes knowing that you're growing into the profession? I mean, being the first the first time that I attend this conference, I feel like I need to be mellow on, on the <laughs> feedback that I give. Honestly, this conference was very welcoming to me. Like it was, 
I could connect with people. It was, hey, I'm a graduate student. I'm going to look for a job in XYZ. And people were like, yeah, I don't have a job for you. And what questions do you have or that kind of thing? So I think just embracing that and continuing to be community-based and not wanting to get too big too fast. Um, There's been changes that I hear have been made based on who I know and who I hear has come and how do we really be critical about the feedback that has been given and take it slow but take it serious because I hear a lot of we have listened we have sat and kind of marinated okay now let's move but I I guess people say in higher ed things move really slow my fear would be that the association wants to move too fast mm. and then we stop being intentional before mm. we even began to be intentional if that makes sense definitely yeah do you have any other final thoughts on tim wise your conference experience with social justice and inclusion i mean i think more spaces need to be having those kind of conversations i would appreciate if there were more people of color guiding the conversation and not just having a white male come to say hey there's these issues about race and ethnicity and all these other identities um, because I feel like there's a lot of people of color that can do it, have been doing it, and we don't listen. And so how do we actually take a message that we really need to push forward and not keep favoring the same people, keep the same circle? Um, and I also just really value the progress that I hear from other people. And again, as a graduate student, I felt really welcome. I feel like I made a lot of connections that I could use as just just my personal growth honestly people are super friendly and just as a professional like how can I move forward and and really be critical about where I want to be what job I want to do and how do I do it well and and just because you mentioned that you don't you see yourself represented necessarily do you mind sharing your identities for the listeners yeah um, I identify as a Latina Mexican-American not really the American part I, I struggle with that a lot but I Latina, So I would really like to see more Latinx people involved, um, specifically going back to the Women of Color Summit. I noticed a lot of women getting up and leaving that were not in the majority group. And so that really made me feel uncomfortable in terms of my first time and, and watching other women feeling like, oh, this is a woman of color space. And I don't feel like anything is being covered that is relevant to me Mm -hmm. and so I appreciated and I celebrated other people and I don't know if I had the room to like really celebrate myself so yeah I appreciate that very much thank you do you have any other thoughts no thank you for having me thank you for sharing your viewpoints Susana yes I appreciate it I'm here with Chris Fiorello, who is the Director of Student Conduct and Academic Integrity at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. Welcome, Chris. Thank you. So, Chris, can you share some of your thoughts on Tim Wise's opening remarks and how that's impacted you and your conference experience? Yeah, so I truly enjoyed Tim Wise's speech and also his call to white folks to take a step up in this conversation about racial justice. And one of the things that really resonated with me as, as a member of ASCA is his commentary about the fact that objectivity doesn't truly exist. Mm-hmm. That our notions of objectivity and sometimes the way that we frame things around justice and fairness um, is really based in this idea that 
objectivity is a, something we should strive for, when in reality, I think we have to acknowledge our internal biases and be more uh, culturally aware, sort of more multi-partiality uh, notions, if you want to pull from uh, sort of the mediation uh, work and lens and framework. And so that's something that really resonated to me uh, in talking to him. When you're thinking about the conversation that Tim Wise started for us, how have you taken that and carried it forward throughout this week? So I think for me, you know, this resonates with me because I do a lot of work around men and masculinities and white men and masculinities. And uh, it's a reminder to me about how much work we really have to do um, with men and in particular the privilege that white men have and, and, and how we engage men in general about issues of racial justice and diversity. Um, I think the other piece of it is, for me, it makes me think about, you know, you talked about bias in our systems and where we find bias in our systems. And as much as we try to pretend like we do amazing job training everyone, the reality is there are so many entry points to bias. So from our campus safety who may rate uh, documentary reports or RAs who may document reports to the person charging the report to the hearing boards and panelists that find it and they're all coming to it to this with their own cultural lens and when I look at the way that we're training folks to be hearing officers to be RAs to be campus safety officers we don't do enough engagement around the ways that we may be inserting our own cultural lens and in particular as a white person our own whiteness into this conversation so you've self-identified as a white person yes. and particularly as a cis white male yes. right so um, I'm curious how his comments, Tim Wise's comments, may have made you kind of sit in a lens of cognitive dissonance or be uncomfortable. That's an interesting question. I think his comments, more than anything, were a call to, to sit down and listen for a while um, and to really listen to my students of color, my colleagues of color, about their experiences within our systems. Um, and I think that that's the, the strongest part that's stuck with me uh, as I as I think about this. And I think, you know, there wasn't a moment that struck out to me as being like dissonant with what my values are, but there was a moment that I think said to me, am I doing enough? Am I working hard enough to make sure that I really am aware of my own cultural framework and lens and how much that probably influences my judgments? Absolutely. That implicit bias piece is something I think we're all working through. And, you know, Tim Wise talked to us about internalized oppression and internalized Mm -hmm. marginalized identity and a lot of other things. So I think it's, you know, it's it's a great thing that you're kind of owning that and moving forward with it. Um, so how, how do you think that might change your practice? Yeah, you know, I've been thinking, gosh, I've been thinking a lot about how do we influence our practice? And I think one of the things that if I, if I can do it, I want to sit down with our housing folks and take a look really at who we're training, how we're training, how we're doing recruitment, how are we prioritizing racial justice in our selection processes of people who are are getting involved in our our uh, systems, whether it's as an RA, a campus safety officer, or as a hearing board member, are they able to articulate a, a sophisticated understanding of the way that um, we can insert implicit biases into to systems? And um, are we training students before they ever become student leaders to do that? So that's one way. And I also think, you know, and this is a thought I've had for a while, is that I'm not sure that our traditional adjudication system uh, that is very much steeped in sort of uh, traditions of the court is really a 
a, a system that works well for folks other than middle-class white males who have a strong understanding of how to uh, of what those systems look like sort of and I, and I have seen this I've seen uh, folks from uh, privileged identities really be able to game our systems in ways that folks who aren't as familiar with our systems who aren't as familiar with these um, with these sort of court notions because of the level of uh, the SES of their families and what that introduces. And so for me, I, it makes me sort of wonder whether we need to really start rethinking the whole adjudication practice and how we go about adjudications and whether we're truly embracing restorative practices and whether we're truly embracing mediation and all the opportunities that we have. We, we've got to look at our, our practice and look at ways to sort of reframe some of these notions. Excellent. And now based on the conversations you've had here, how do you think ASCA is succeeding with diversity and inclusion and intentional inclusion? So I think the ways that we're being very successful in our approaches to diversity and inclusion, I, I frame it around some conversations that uh, Adam Ross Nelson, who is the head of the research committee, uh, and I have been having along with the rest of the members of the research committee about even when we get instruments from uh, scholars who want to use our uh, membership as a, as a folks to, to survey, how we're talking to them about how they collect demographics mm-hmm. and having some help for researchers and how to do this in inclusive ways. And I think it's these little things that we're doing in many different communities and areas that I think are really advancing inclusion within our uh, practice. I also really appreciate the listening sessions that we've been doing at the conference. I think that that's a really fantastic opportunity to engage members and to find out what their thoughts are around diversity and inclusion. And I really appreciate the change to the Gehring faculty structure, the idea that we're going to have applications and that uh, I think that brings in a broader pool of folks. You know, certainly one thing I do hope to see in that uh, application, though, is is about someone's commitment to diversity and inclusion and social justice um, and how they plan to infuse that into their work at Gehring. Absolutely. I know, Chris, I think those are some great things, but where do you think we could be doing better? Um... So, what do I think we can be doing better? I, so this is an interesting question. I think there's actually a a pretty significant amount that we can be doing better. I I think for starters, I think it's about reorienting the membership towards embracing the idea of social justice and diversity in the presentations that they're giving. Mm -hmm. Um, And giving presenters feedback on, um, you know, stepping outside of this, this lens of, well, we're objective viewers and and embracing the fact that no, we have some biases and we need to address those biases. And I think really encouraging sessions and maybe having preference for sessions that teach those skills to our members um, is, I think, one of those critically important pieces. I think, yeah, that's where I'll leave it for right now. Sure. Um, But yeah, those are some of my thoughts about that. Thank you so much for your viewpoint, Chris. You're welcome. with Erin Bunton, who is the Associate Director for Student Conduct and Academic Integrity at Old Dominion University, ODU, for those of you who are ODU folks. Um, But Erin, I know that you're a big listener of the podcast, so we're excited to have you on it. Um, But can you talk to us a little bit about um, your thoughts on our keynote speaker, Tim Wise, and um, how that may have impacted your thought process or affected you? 
Sure. This was the first time I saw Tim Wise, so I've heard a lot about him, but have never seen him in person. And so I was very eager to hear what he had to say to us and how it went. I know there had been some chatter about some of his comments on our processes, so I was really interested. Generally speaking, I agreed with what he had to say about what's going on in our country in general. And overall, I thought what he had to say about our profession was pretty spot on. The work we do is difficult. And um, we also have a duty to our students to continue to learn and grow mm -hmm. and be updated on what's going on in our country and to educate them and ourselves about it. And um, I think that's really important for student conduct professionals and higher education professionals. And so I really appreciated his thoughts and comments on that. Excellent. So what food for thought did he kind of leave you marinating on? Well, I think those were sort of my takeaways from it, is that um, we have to just continue to move forward with the times, even though I think uh, for those of us who are lucky to be mentored by those in our field who are here during the civil rights era, maybe they don't look so different. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to pretend that we're um, embarking on something that's completely new. Mm -hmm. But I really thought about that and I was really thinking about that um, during our session where we were talking about um, case law. And where that came up for me is when we were talking about accessibility. Yes. And so I think we missed the mark there a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing um, when we talk about diversity and inclusion that we don't want to miss, miss out on. Definitely. Our conversation in the association has been largely a race-based conversation exactly. for diversity and inclusion. Uh, and that was a challenging moment for me, too, to hear um, some of the naivete and, and perhaps ignorance around the value of um, emotional support animals. That was a challenging moment, I think, for a lot of folks in the room. And I, I saw it get called out on Twitter. Um, right. a couple of different times and so you know I appreciate everyone who was able to say hey everybody check yourself this is one aspect of intersectionality that our association hasn't really focused on yet so that's a great observation yeah and that's hard to do but there are many parts of uh, diversity and what that means mm -hmm. and so all of us have some room to go right and I think Tim Wise said that himself and that's something that he does really well mm -hmm. as a white man yeah. is say you know um, here's me being vulnerable and, and saying, um, I'm, I'm talking about race. And so we can all say, here's me being vulnerable and I have room to grow in these areas. And so how are you going to take some of this information and translate it back to your practice when you get home? Well, I hope to do some self-exploration. I think that's one of the best ways we can all grow and say, when I look at, for example, um, ASCA's diversity statement, what are some areas in that that I might be able to grow in? How can I take that back to my own campus um, and look at ways um, maybe our policies in our office need to be updated or what can I do on my campus? Who can I connect with? Um, what areas can I grow in? Fantastic. What areas do you think that ASCA does really well with in terms of diversity and inclusion? Well, I think um, we've done a great job of growing where our members are willing to speak up and participate. Mm -hmm. So I think the Women of Color Summit and the Men of Color Summit are two great examples mm -hmm. because we have leaders in those areas who have been a part of growing and fostering that. Mm 
And so, um, of course, it's much easier to grow in areas where we have volunteers, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a lot harder if maybe we don't have members who are speaking up or saying, um, or stepping up, mm -hmm. right? And um, so maybe some of the areas, maybe if we need to grow in the area of, of accessibility, what we really need is for some of our members who have passion there to help us with that. Definitely. And also, it's our responsibility as the privileged population to take ownership of, of educating ourselves too. It's one of the things I think about a lot is uh, making sure that we're not putting the responsibility of the education on those who experience the marginalization. So. Great point. There was a tiny conversation about that on the back channel too. Is mm -hmm. We don't want to just make sure that um, we're asking everybody else to educate us mm -hmm. on you know, what are your thoughts or experiences here. You know, we don't want to single out the one person in the room and say, tell me about this or please educate me. Right. Well, we want to be careful about tokenizing identities and we want to be careful about not putting that work on those who are already exhausted. Yeah. Exactly. You said back channel. So I just want to clarify for the listeners. Uh, we're talking thank about the you. Twitter back channel, right? Yes. Thank yeah. you. And what's your, this year's hashtag? This year's hashtag is hashtag ASCA2018. <laughs> so if you want to go back and read about the hashtag, you can definitely go see what happened on the back channel this year. A little bit quieter than previous years, interestingly. Um, and then also the, uh, the ambulatory surgery community association kind of like butted in on the hashtag for a minute and advertised their conference and I was like wow you really 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 don't want conduct officers doing ambulatory surgery on people right and I believe there's also a counseling association yeah American School Counselors yes. and the other ASCA there's there's four now um, is the Australian Shepherds something of America I believe oh, that's fun yeah like dogs yeah so um, if you're looking <laughs> well, for we us, all love dogs so. <laughs> if you're looking for us just uh, make sure you're looking at the right ASCA 2018 hashtag. So. <laughs> right. Any final thoughts, Erin? Well, um, one final thought I would have that um, has really struck me this year is just how wonderful of a job our volunteers are doing on the conference. And um, I've seen a lot of great commentary from folks. So if people would um, be so gracious as to step into those roles or if they have a passion on a topic that they've seen or they want to see more if they could just raise their hand and let someone know either from the conference committee or the central office that would be a great way for them to increase our visibility mm -hmm. in diversity or inclusion and you know we'd love to have them excellent thank you so much Erin for sharing your viewpoint thank you Next week on the ASCA Viewpoints podcast, we continue our dialogue about social justice and intentional inclusion as we had it at the ASCA annual conference. So for those of you who are not able to attend the conference, we hope that this brings you into part of that dialogue. And we're going to feature about four or five more individuals who I was able to speak with one-on-one -on -one and in person down in Jacksonville, Florida. We hope you'll come back and join us. This episode was produced and hosted by Jill Creighton, that's me, produced, edited, and mixed by Colleen Mater. Special thanks to New York University's Office of Student Conduct and Community Standards and to the University of Oregon's Dean of Students team for allowing us the time and space to create this project. If you're enjoying the podcast, we ask that you please like, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps others discover us and helps us become more visible in the general podcasting community. If you have suggestions for future guests or would like to be featured on the podcast yourself, please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at ASCA Podcast or by 
by email at ascapodcast at gmail.com. 